much from this original and delicate prose, which was unique in its ability to join the intricacies of acute psychological observation with large moral and philosophical concerns. But James was not Hawthorne's only reader, and there are several other Hawthorns who have come down to us as well. Hawthorne the Allegorist, Hawthorne the High Romantic Fabulist, Hawthorne the Chronicler of 17th century colonial New England, and, most notably, Hawthorne as reimagined by Borges, the precursor of Kafka. Hawthorne's fiction can be read profitably from any of these angles, but there is yet another Hawthorne who has been more or less forgotten, neglected because of the magnitude of his other achievements. The private Hawthorne, the scribbler of anecdotes and impulsive thoughts, the workman of ideas, the meteorologist and depictor of landscapes, the traveler, the letter writer, the historian of everyday life. The pages of the American notebooks are so fresh, so vivid in their articulations, that Hawthorne emerges from them not as some venerable figure from the literary past, but as a contemporary, a man whose time is still the present. Twenty days was not the only occasion on which he wrote about his children. Once Una and Julian were old enough to talk, he seemed to take immense pleasure in jotting down some of their zanier utterances, and the notebooks are studded with entries such as these. I'm tired of all sings and want to slip into God. I'm tired of little Una Hawthorne. Are you tired of Mama? No. But are you tired of Papa? No. I am tired of Dora and tired of little Julian and tired of little Una Hawthorne. Una, you hurt me a little. Julian, well, I'll hurt you a big. Julian, Mama, why is not dinner supper? Mama, why is not a chair a table? Julian, because it's a teapot. I said to Julian, let me take off your bib. And he, taking no notice, I repeated it two or three times, each time louder than before. At last he bellowed, let me take off your head. On Sunday, March 19, 1848, during the period when he was employed at the U.S. Custom House in Salem, Hawthorne spent the entire day recording the activities and antics of his two offspring, one just four and the other not quite two. It is a dizzying account of some nine pages that conscientiously takes note of every whim and twist of mood that occurred in the children over the course of eleven hours. Lacking the sentimental flourishes one might expect from a nineteenth-century parent, devoid of moralizing judgments or intrusive commentary, it stands as a remarkable portrait of the reality of childhood, which, on the strength of these passages, would seem to be eternal in its sameness. Now Una offers her finger to Julian, and they march together, the little boy aping a manly measurement of stride. Now Una proposes to play puss in the corner, and there's a quick tattoo of little feet all over the floor. Julian utters a complaining cry about something or other. Una runs and kisses him. Una says, Father, this morning I am not going to be naughty at all. Now they are playing with India rubber balls. Julian tries to throw the ball into the air, but usually succeeds no farther than to drop it over his head. It rolls away, and he searches for it, inquiring, where ball? Julian now falls into a reverie for a little space, his mind seeming far away, lost in reminiscences. 
But what can they be about? Recollections of a pre-existence. Now he sits in his little chair, his chunky little figure looking like an alderman in miniature. Mama is dressing little Una in her purple pelisse to go out with Dora. Una promises to be a very good little girl and mind Dora and not run away nor step in the mud. The little boy trudges round, repeating, Go, go, intimating his desire to be taken out likewise. He runs to and fro across the room with a marvelous swagger, of the ludicrousness of which he seems perfectly conscious. And when I laugh, he comes to my elbow and looks up in my face with a most humorous response. He climbs into a chair at my knee and peeps at himself in the glass. Now he looks curiously on the page as I write. Now he nearly tumbles down and is at first frightened, but, seeing that I was likewise startled, pretends to tumble again and then laughs in my face. Enter Mama with the milk. He sits on his mother's knee, gulping the milk with grunts and sighs of satisfaction, nor ceases till the cup is exhausted, once and again and again, and even then asks for more. On being undressed, he is taking an air bath, he enjoys the felicity of utter nakedness, running away from Mama with cries of remonstrance when she wishes to put on his nightgown. Now ensues a terrible catastrophe not to be mentioned in our seemly history. Enter Una. Where is little Julian? He has gone out to walk. No, I mean, where is the place of little Julian that you've been writing about him? So I point to the page at which she looks with all possible satisfaction and stands watching the pen as it hurries forward. I'll put the ink nearer to you, says she. Father, are you going to write all this, she adds, turning over the book. I tell her that I am now writing about herself. That's nice writing, says she. Una now proposes to him to build a blockhouse with her. So they set about it jointly. But it has scarcely risen above its foundation before Julian tears it down. With unwearied patience, Una begins another. Papa, aus, cries Julian, pointing to two blocks which he has laid together. They quit the blocks, and Julian again offers to climb the chair to the bookcase, and is again forbidden by me, whereupon he cries. Una runs to kiss and comfort him, and then comes to me with a solemn remonstrance of no small length, the burthen being, Father, you should not speak so loudly to a little boy he was only half years old. She comes and takes her place silently in my lap, resting her head on my shoulder. Julian has clambered into a chair at the window and appears to observe and meditate, so that we have a very quiet interval until he disturbs it by coming and pulling off her shoe. He seldom pretermits any mischief that his hand finds to do. For instance, finding her bare knee, he has just taken occasion to pinch it with all his might. Hawthorne repeated the exercise four days later, on Thursday, March 23rd, and six times more in 1849, covering what would amount to another thirty pages in the centenary edition of the notebooks. Adding to his descriptions of his children's games and squabbles and inner storms, he sometimes paused to make a number of more generalized remarks about their personalities. Two small passages about Una are of particular interest, since she is usually taken to be the model on which he based the character of Pearl in the Scarlet Letter. From January 28, 1849. Her beauty is the most flitting, 
transitory, most uncertain and unaccountable affair that ever had a real existence. It beams out when nobody expects it. It has mysteriously passed away when you think yourself sure of it. If you glance sideways at her, you perhaps think it is illuminating her face, but turning full round to enjoy it, it is gone again. When really visible, it is rare and precious as the vision of an angel. It is a transfiguration, a grace, delicacy, an ethereal fineness, which, at once, in my secret soul, makes me give up all severe opinions that I may have begun to form respecting her. It is but fair to conclude that, on these occasions, we see her real soul. When she seems less lovely, we merely see something external. But, in truth, one manifestation belongs to her as much as another. For, before the establishment of principles, what is character but the series and succession of moods? From July 30th of the same year, there is something that almost frightens me about the child. I know not whether elfish or angelic, but, at all events, supernatural. She steps so boldly into the midst of everything, shrinks from nothing, has such a comprehension of everything, seems at times to have but little delicacy, and anon shows that she possesses the finest essence of it. Now so hard, now so tender, now so perfectly unreasonable, soon again so wise. In short, I now and then catch an aspect of her, which I cannot believe her to be my own human child, but a spirit strangely mingled with good and evil, haunting the house where I dwell. The little boy is always the same child, and never varies in relation to me. By the summer of 18...